I'm Karen James. My guests are Larry Turner, co-founder of Fresh Out Community-Based Reentry Program, and Will Johnson, Fresh Out alumni and peer mentor. Welcome. Hey, how's it going? Glad to be here. Larry, Fresh Out is a community-based reentry program that was formed by formerly incarcerated African-American individuals who saw a need to help other black women and men who often release from prison to underserved communities and face many barriers to a successful reentry. So as a formerly incarcerated African-American, what was reentry from prison like for you? And what prompted you to want to help others as they left prison? Well, reentry for, for me was like not having enough courage, first of all, to uh, resist the role models that I had accumulated from crime and living in the streets and in a culture of drugs and crime. And then when I was ready to access those services, there were few review services available for me that had African-Americans in them that I could identify with, that I could identify with. So, you know, when I was in prison, when I first time I went to prison in 1981, the African-American program, which is the Department of Community Justice program, came in. They had a reentry program. It was called the African-American program. And Juanita Johnson and uh, Don Allen introduced us to that program and, and recruited us for that program. But I wasn't ready to make any changes at the time. So when I got out, when I got out in 1997, and was ready to make some changes in my life. I went and visited the PO, first of all, which was something that I never did. I was always the kind of criminal that catch me when you can. You know, uh, I, I'm a criminal. You guys are the cops. I don't associate with you guys. So when I got out that last time, I went and saw my PO, and he connected me with the estate hotel. They got a, pr a prisoner release program there, and I went there. And then I reconnected with the African-American program. Uh, Travis Gamble... And uh, Terrell Johnson, I believe Nate Roberts at the time were doing the program, and I reconnected with the African American program. And and what that did for me, to go back a little bit, Terrell was very instrumental in me wanting to change my life when I got out the last time. Terrell Johnson, Terrell Johnson is someone who I knew, grew up within the community, had committed crimes with, had been in jail and prison with. And when I was in prison the last time, he came into the institution. He came into Oregon State Correctional Institution and was doing the reentry group program. And when I saw him there, I was amazed. Like, what are you doing here? He says, well, I work here. I said, what What do you mean you work here? He said, they pay me. I said, they pay you to do it. He said, pay me to help you stay out of prison. I said, get the out of here, man. He, you know, he said, no, I'm, I'm being honest. This is what we, I said, I said, man, how can I do that? He said, when you get out, come and see me and I'll show you how to do it. And the rest is history. So I came out, got seen Terrell, seen my PO, and they got me connected with all these people to mentor me. Richard Brown is a big mentor that I got connected with. Billy Anfield is still one of my mentors who I got connected with. And Nate Roberts, he, he's been mentoring me and I got connected with him. A lot of people in the community have supported me along this journey. And the most important thing was I supported myself. I was ready. And so fast forward, uh, going to the African-American program from 1997 to 2007, Dorothy Steele, she was one of the corrections counselors at the time. And she said, you guys are doing really good. You guys have gotten your life together. You come back to group every week and you help other people with resources. And why don't you guys start a program to help people? And so that's how the idea of Fresh Out came about. And that's how Fresh Out got founded. Fresh Out was founded in 2007 by uh, myself, Larry Turner, uh, Daisha Fontaloroy. Orlando Andrews, and uh, Michael Spencer. 
and we all came up with this idea about how we didn't have a clue about what we were doing or how we we're going to do it. We just knew we had the basis of peer support and peer mentoring that we were doing already. And that was the base of our program. So, you know, after time, we kept doing what we're doing. And then people really like what we're doing. They started donating funding to us. And so we we'd get donations of funds. So we were able to help people uh, buy clothes when they got out of prison, give them a gift card, uh, buy something for their kids, uh, pay for people to get the driver's license. Uh, pay people some people's rents who needed rent assistance, help people buy food. But most of that money came from the money that we put in ourselves personally, from our own money donating to the program and from other funders who liked it, what we were doing. I think we got our first grant in um, 2013. We got a grant from a church out in Beaverton. Uh, they gave us $250. Then after we got that grant, we got another grant of $207 from another church down in Northwest Portland. We kept on getting those donations and doing what we're doing, and, and we go back inside the prison. So around 2015, we all got uh, authorized where we could go back into the prison. So me and Michael Spencer started going into the prison and talking to uh, incarcerated inmates prior to their release to build a relationship with them, because that's the most important thing we have at Fresh Out and at the African-American program is relationships. If you don't have a relationship with people, it doesn't matter what kind of services you got or how much money you got people aren't going to buy into it. So we, we start building relationships with people. And then, so when in 2015, we got a pretty sizable grant from the city of Portland, but uh, due to some challenges that we were having uh, with the, with the administrative part of the grant on their end, we decided that it was too much trouble and we gave the money back because it was too many restrictions on the grant of what we could spend the money on, how we could spend the money, why we were spending the money. And it was just too much back and forth with them. So we just went back to the way we had been doing it which was the private donors because they liked it the way we were spending the money. So then the next big grant that we got was the, when the COVID hit, bam, COVID hit, everything went to Zoom. We're doing the groups by Zoom. Uh, we couldn't get into the prison. We got some COVID money, some COVID relief money. So we got a, a, quite a bit of COVID relief money. So we started targeting people who were coming to our meetings on Zoom and were staying in touch with us and helping those people with paying for the driver's license, paying their rent, helping them buy food, uh, helping them buy clothes, giving them gift cards so they can get back and forth to work with gas. Uh, we paid for a couple of people's CDLs so they got their commercial driver's license because there was a big trucking shortage going on during the COVID. And uh, and then it took off. So we got that money from the COVID. We spent all that money in a very short length of time. So they were having a hard time getting rid of the COVID money. So they asked us, will we take some more money on? So we took some more money on. And then, so that built us up a little reserve because we got administrative fees from the grants. So we had a little reserve. So then we started providing more services. I think with the COVID money, we helped 420 something formerly incarcerated uh, African-American individuals and whites and indigenous and some Latinos, but primarily African-Americans with that COVID money. And what we saw uh, with our statistics out of the 400 some people we held, only two people went back to jail within a two-year period of time. So the money is really important. It really helps people because if I can stop somebody from going to pull a robbery because they ain't got a job, if I can give them a $500 gift card to pay some bills and, 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 and get some groceries in the house, that'll stop them from committing a crime. So it's harm reduction in a couple ways. Uh, harm reduction from people going back to jail and harm reduction from the uh, community being inflicted some crimes upon. So Fast forward now, Ballot Measure 110 came around. We applied for some funding. We received from some funding. And we've been able to help, since we got Ballot Measure 110 money, over 600 people, over 600 formerly incarcerated uh, individuals. I'd say out of the 600, 540 have been African-American. Then we've had some whites in there because it's, it's government money. So we can't turn somebody down when they come to the program. 
so we have some whites, we have some indigenous, and we have some Native Americans. One of the thing about our programs is our priority is African Americans. So if some white people come and they need money, and we got African Americans who need the money, we're going to prioritize those African Americans. But we're going to try to make sure we give something to the uh, other populations that come to, to our program because we don't want we want to help people stay out of prison, but we want to focus on African Americans. Just left the prison this morning. We had a group of twenty young men in the group at uh, Columbia River this morning, and so we're working with them and trying to support them. So, Larry, before we talk more about Fresh Out and the program. Let's hear from Will. Will Johnson, you met Larry about a decade ago when he helped you get into treatment and you walked away from treatment at that time. So how did you find your way back to working with Larry and Fresh Out? Yeah, so Larry, yeah, he helped me. He was my first introduction into treatment. I had no idea. And I asked him for help and he made a phone call and that following I think it was the following day I was able to get in, which generally that hasn't happened. Um, but I had walked away. Um, I wasn't, I, I really couldn't see what was happening or what treatment was about. So I walked away, went back out um, in the streets and um, eventually got caught back up with old habits and behaviors. And then um, I ended up going to prison. January 11th, 2017, I was in the county, and then I ended up going out to Deer Ridge, which is predominantly all white. And when I would go out there, um, there was a a lot of struggle because there was, I think at one point in time, I was the only black inmate inside of a section of the jail that held about maybe 200 inmates over there. Um, and so I was like the only black person because it's far out. It's, uh, it was out of Madras, Oregon. And so um, people would, when I would go on the yard and speak to other inmates, they would say, right, Columbia River, because over at Columbia River, that's where they have the African-American program. But at this time, I didn't realize that Larry was a part of it. They just said Nate Roberts, Nate Roberts. They were telling me about Nate Roberts. And so um, I ended up after about... A year and a half, uh, I requested to go over to the, the, the Columbia River to the African-American program. I wrote Nate Roberts and I got accepted. And then once I transitioned over to Columbia River, Larry would come in with Nate Roberts and Bruce and uh, Mike. Mike is a part of the Fresh Out. And we, we you know, we reconnected. And uh, I was so glad to see him especially because being out there at Deer Ridge, you just, you know, you didn't, it was a, it was, it, it was, a, it was a struggle from a cultural place, a cultural context, but um, I was able to manage and um, focus in on, on why I was there, you know, which alcohol and drugs. So I was able to attend a lot of things, but then I got, I was able to come back over to Columbia river. And so it was like, okay, I'm here. I know why I'm here. You know, I told this to the counselor. And she said, why is that? I said, because of alcohol and drugs. And um, I let her know that I wanted to be in the drug and alcohol portion of the jail. And so I got transferred out to the section of the dr- where they do the treatment. And so um, I was dealing with that in Deer Ridge. A lot of alone time to myself to reflect. But then it's like, okay, 
I understand that I have to quit alcohol and drugs and learn a new way to live. But then after I do that, now what? Now what do I do? When I went over to Columbia River, knowing Larry's story, where Larry came from, what he'd been through, and his message, which is generally that of hope, but in conjunction with Narcotics Anonymous. I knew he was a member. I'm a member. I identify. So when I seen Larry coming in and other people like Larry, the idea of getting released and becoming a mentor, I felt that was my next step. And so um, Larry would come in and he would uh, he had a way of communicating to us about like, you know, the realities of not doing the right thing and coming back to prison or getting back hooked on drugs and alcohol or the street life. And Larry was very straightforward and transparent with, you know, by not choosing something different and living a different life, he would just be straight up with you and honest about, you know, basically predicting. You know, one of the things I've been coming to Larry's group for about three years now. And one of the things that he says that I come to comprehend more and more is if you're showing up to this Thursday group, African-American group, that's a good thing because that means you're not in jail. So the message behind that is, is do the things that will keep you out and associate with people that are living differently to keep you out of the streets and off the drugs and things like that. Because the bottom line is, is that if I'm not working in this direction, I'll be going back the other direction. It's evidence-based. If I don't find a new way to think, a new way to act, and a new way to live, and not just putting it all on me, but like support. You know, when you talk about culture-specific support, it's like every time I went to jail, when I got out, when I would go there, I would pray, I read the Bible, and all types, all types of self-help stuff. And I was encouraged and I was inspired to make a different life for myself. The problem was I didn't have community. You got little Italy, you got little China, you got little Russia. The reason why you have these communities because it takes community, culturally specific community I'm talking about, to go forward in progress. So every time I would get out, I would always revert back to my community, which was the streets, which was other drug users, et cetera. They wasn't the best people to be around, but it was a community. So now when you talk about fresh out, that's a community, but it's a culturally specific community with people who look like me, remind me of my uncles or my father, who I can relate to and identify with, and they can help by living the life that they live, you know, by helping other people in the community, telling their stories about what they used to do and other people saying, yep, that's how, that's what he used to do, but then what he's doing now. So I was able to feed off of that and get supported. You know, pre-prison, I wasn't paying taxes. I wasn't paying rent. I wasn't having struggles on the job and not knowing how to work through them struggles. So by associating with Fresh Out and the likes, I was able to be supported in those areas, even with career, even with challenges at work. There's one point in time where I was doing mentoring and I I just couldn't take it no more. It was it was straining me. I had to take care of myself. I wasn't told that you're not enough, you're not strong, you're a loser. 
I was heard out and then I was redirected. Well, hey, listen, we know another place. And I got the information, filled out the application, and I was I was back in business. I was able to continue on my road to living a different life, you know. And so um, trust is a big thing. Trust is a big thing. I get nervous at times when I'm around white people. And I'm not saying that I haven't had white people in my life that have been good to me. I just grew up. And, you, you know, historically speaking for African-Americans, historically speaking, you know, I got out in the middle of George Floyd, Black Lives Matter. That's what I came home to. I was scared. I used to ride my bike down the street because I didn't have a license at the time with a with an orange work vest on in hopes if the police saw me, they would say that's a working person and let's let him get away and let's go do some harm to somebody else. This is serious, you know. And so through Corona, through all those times, you know, um, being able to come to the Thursday meeting or sometimes Larry just called me out of nowhere, you know, which, you know, man support, right? Male support for a lot of black men. Previous to this, the street hustler was my mentor. The, the crimey was my mentor. I trusted that because that's what we did. Now on this side, getting out, sometimes Larry would just called out of nowhere and just simply just call on me and check on me and just say, keep up the good job and I love you. I'm just, you know, and that's, you know, that's, that's different. You know, it's, it's you know, it's foreign. And, um, you know, of, of, of course, initially there's some resistance, you know, to it. And then, but Larry and the rest of the men have been consistent in my life with supporting me. I'll be coming up on four years of being out of prison, October, um, October 2nd of this year, four years I've been out and I've been every Thursday attending the Fresh Out because this is the new way of life. This is my new support. You know, I I believe in practicing the, the, the same disciplines that have helped me in my first year out, my second year out, my third year out. Why would I stop now? You know, I've been growing and I'm back mentoring. I've been growing on this side and, you know, there was an incident where my mentoring skills needed a little brushing up and, and Larry invited me to what I thought was just a ordinary lunch. And he pulled me to the side and he, it was a, it was an accountability moment for what he thought as my mentor that I could use. And um, that was, that was different. It was unusual, um, but it was from a place of love and concern. And, you know, initially I resisted, but because of the consistency of him and Michael and Mr. Brown from the Fresh Out have been showing, I was able to reflect on it, let my feelings settle down, and then take a look at it and then try to do better so I can last out here. Larry, can you tell folks how they can get in touch with you? Well, the best way to get in touch with us we have a lot of word of mouth and people in prison, but the best way to get in touch with us is through our, you can go to our website, www.freshoutpdx.org. That would be the best way to get in touch with us on our website because we got contact referral forms on there that you can fill out. Another thing in Fresh Out we have is we have uh, all of our peers and all of our uh, volunteers have lived experience with drug and alcohol use and mental health. And 
most of us have went back to school and gotten degrees in either alcohol and drug counseling or mental health counseling. So although we don't do counseling per se with the people that come to our groups, we do provide peer supports and we provide referrals to agencies that can help people with more in-depth substance abuse disorder uh, treatment and uh, mental health treatment. And you do say that uh, you are a community-based organization that relies on local African-American community support and volunteers. We work very closely with a lot of uh, other African-American specific providers. Uh, Miracles Club is one of our biggest partners. Uh, Going Home 2 is another one of our partners. Holistic Healing Behavioral Healthcare is another one of our partners. Organ Change Clinic, we send a lot of people there for drug and alcohol and substance abuse disorder. Flip the Script, which is a it's a specific program, but it's in Central City Concern, but it's a very good program for people with reentry uh, needs. The Imani Center, we work very closely with the Imani Center. Uh, we also work very closely with Juntos and Savalte. Savalte does DV and anger management for uh, African-American men and women. And uh, Juntos works with Latinos because we feel that we're stronger together. We also have a good connection with Painted Horse. It's a Native Indigenous program. So we try to collaborate with people who are trying to do the same thing we're trying to do. Those programs are more specific to mental health and alcohol and drugs, with the exception of going home to and flip the script, which are primarily reentry programs too. But the Miracles Club does recovery supports. Fresh Out does recovery supports. We do recovery supports because most of our mentors and volunteers like I said, have lived experience and are working some kind of recovery program around uh, not only substance abuse disorder, but mental health and criminal behavior. So we provide a gambit of those opportunities. Our volunteers are usually people that hear about our program, come to our community groups on Thursdays uh, by Zoom and say they want to volunteer. So we vet them, you know, find out who they are. We don't run any background checks. We can't have any sex offenders or uh, arsonists. Because most of the time when we meet in person, we meet at the Head Start building. So there's children there. But we get information about them from other people in the community. And we find out if, you know, by their involvement in the program, if they're going to be a good fit or not. But 90% of the peers and volunteers that we use come from within the program with people like Will and others who've gone through our program. We met in prison. They've gone through our program. They've gotten their lives together. Those are the people that we want to be the volunteers in our program. But we do use outside volunteers as well. And you talked about your success with recidivism, Larry. So talk more about that. And, and, and also, I'd like you to talk more about culturally specific, how important it is to have an African-American community-based reentry program for those reentering into their communities. It's absolutely imperative. We don't have a community for one thing, because our community has been displaced uh, due to gentrification, drugs, So the community is gone. We have a population that has pockets of populations that people can support each other in. In 1859, when the state of Oregon was ratified, white settlers were encouraged to come to Oregon. Upon arrival, they were given 600 acres of land. Each white settler that arrived in Oregon was given 600 acres of land. Blacks were discouraged from coming to Oregon. When they arrived, if they resided in the state longer than six months, they would be taken to the town square and whipped. So just imagine if you came to Oregon today, they'd give you 600 acres of land. If me or Will came and we stayed longer than six months, they'd take us down to Pioneer Square and whip us. So these these institutions 
are still embedded deeply with racist bias toward African-Americans. So it's absolutely imperative that we have programs that are specific to African-Americans, that are supporting African-Americans because we know the need of African-Americans. And we're not going to judge African-Americans. We're not going to be not inclusive of African-Americans. We're going to be equitable African-Americans. And we're going to listen to African-Americans and build relationships with African-Americans because we've been where African-Americans have been. Another thing, too, that's so important about culturally specific services is that I don't have the answers to all of the problems for Black and African-Americans, but together with those list of people that I named, the African-American Program, Holistic Healing Behavioral Health, Miracles Club, Going Home to Imani, Flip the Script, Juntos, Painted Horse, Savalte. With those organizations, there's going to be something in there where two or three of us can wrap around and give everybody the needs that they have to get the services that they need. So like I said, in the last three years, so Measure One Tim came about in 2020. We started getting money in about 20, at the end of 2021, we've helped about 600 people. Out of 600 people, we've had four people return back to jail in that time, return back to incarceration, which is a hell of a good number. People feel good when somebody cares enough about them to say, hey, man, here's a gift card, man. Go buy yourself some shoes, man, so you can go to your next job appointment. People feel good when they can call somebody up and say, hey, money, I need money for gas. I got a job interview out here today, and I might be able to get this job. Can I get some money for gas? And we give them a gift card. They go get some gas, and then they call me and say, I got the job. Can you help me get some clothes? And we get them some gift card so they can buy their clothes for, to, to go to work. And then they might get behind in their rent because they haven't worked in a while, and we pay their rent. So not only are we helping people know that there's supports in place for them so they can tell other people about what's going on at Fresh Out and in the community. But we're reducing people from having to go out and steal, sell dope, pull robberies so that they can get this money in other places. And just to add on briefly, those things help out a lot as well. But the, here's the thing. When you talk about trauma, when you talk about hopelessness, when you talk about just not really uh, having no support, when we have our groups and we're able to sit in and know that from a group of other people that are talking about what their struggles are and what their issues are. And then they just get to, just to get out, just to talk about, I feel like doing something that I know ain't good, but I feel like, and then to have support from Larry, Mr. Brown, Michael, and then sometimes other members will say, hey, I heard about this resource and it's the community part. People get materials all the time, but it's not enough. People get money all the time, but it's not enough. It's the community part to know somebody care. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, period. You got to talk about that too. You got to provide a safe place where people know that they can share their innermost stuff with you and you won't take it and use them against it. You won't tell go tell the PO on them. You won't go tell the police on them that you'll try to work with them to try to change their thinking, not through just talk, but through action. I'm going to help you change your thinking, and this is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to walk beside you, and I'm going to support you financially. I'm going to support you mentally. I'm going to support you physically. I'm going to support you emotionally. I'm going to support you spiritually. I don't care what you believe, how you believe, as long as you're Black, come to Fresh Out. Gay, straight, lesbian, transgender. If you're Black, we want you. We want to help you. Well, what would you say to someone listening right now or someone that is ready to change their life? What would you say? I would say don't do it by yourself. Seek help. Last time I tried to do it on my own, 
I acted on that thought. I went out and suffered for two years, then eventually crashed, hit a wall, did a crime, went to prison for three years. And that three years I was in there, I just, I surrendered. And, I, and when I say surrendered, I, I thought to myself, your best thinking got you in this situation and in this position. I don't have to have the answers. There are people who have went before me, who have lived and done what I've done, even worse. And somehow they don't do what they used to do. And they're out here in the community taking care of themselves by healthier ways of living and being and behaviors, engaging in healthy activities and being a part of the solution. But if I were to try to do that on my own, with my own information, the last person I got high with was me. The last person I did crime with was me. I admitted maybe it's time to see it from somebody else's perspective, but not just anybody. People who have dealt with discrimination, racism, poverty, a judicial system, self-hate, addictions, and they're not living like that no more. Can you help me? What did you do? Now, I don't do everything that Larry do as far as like with, with what he did to overcome, but I do the basics. Don't do drugs. Don't commit crimes. Get a support group and write down what it is you want to do and get support and help with doing it. The only time I really have problems is when I isolate and do it on my own. That's the only time. Outside of that, hey, Larry, recently, um, you know, I, I think I may have been struggling with imposter syndrome. All these good things are happening in my life. A thought, a self-sabotaging thought came up. I said, Larry, have you ever been afraid of success? He said, well, you're growing, right? And told me some of the things. And then he gave me some information and said, um, I want you to go look up these things. And that moment, and I was able to, to look up some of these things about not just imposter syndrome, but just self-sabotaging thoughts and behaviors. I was able to see clearly around and about what was happening. And I was able to make some different choices. And as a result, here it is a month and a half later, I'm doing an interview on the KBU. Now, had I would have tried to solve that myself, the thoughts that was going on in my mind and the feelings I was having, I might not have, most likely I wouldn't have been here, you know? And so just for anybody out there, don't do it on your own. You see somebody living a certain life, if, you, if you're dealing with mental health, find out, engage with people who then went through that and, and, and learn from them and let them support you and give yourself a chance. You know, that's what I would say to somebody. The biggest thing is just don't do it on your own. When you do it on your own, you might be in bad company. Larry, how could people support Fresh Out? People can go to our website or to any Advantage Credit Union, and they can make a financial donation. I believe we have a system set up on our website as well, www.freshoutcbrp.org. There's information on there on how to make a financial contribution, or they can go to any Advantage Credit Union and uh, make a donation to Fresh Out Community-Based Reentry Program. Or if they want to volunteer, they can leave a message on our uh, website or on our at our email, freshoutpdx at gmail.com. 
and uh, express their interest in what they'd like to do. Uh, the best way you can support is by not committing crimes and putting yourself in a position where you get caught up in the system and by supporting other people who you know are struggling by getting somewhere to get the help they need so they don't end up in the system. And what are some of the volunteer opportunities with Fresh Out? We have someone volunteering right now is doing life coaching. We have someone who volunteers to help us pay, help pay people's rents. We have someone who's volunteered to help uh, find people jobs. We have a, a, a jobs person. And then we have uh, people who do peer support with other people coming out of prison. Talk about the town hall meetings that you hold. Well, we do community community groups. We've had we ha we've had a couple town halls. So part of one of our grants was community planning. So we've had some town halls and we've done some conferences too. We've had some town halls where we've invited people from the community to come in and talk about what's going on and how we could better improve Fresh Out to be able to provide more services and more uh, specific services that people need. Then we put on we put on two conferences. We put on one conference last April, uh, May 18th. We put on the first African American African American conference. It was mostly mental health and drug and alcohol, how to stay out of prison, how to utilize substance abuse disorder treatment, how to use utilize mental health uh, treatment to stay out of prison, how to use medical stuff to support your mental health and your alcohol stuff. So it was our first African-American uh, conference. We're going to have another one in November. This past April 11th, we had our first Black, Brown, and Indigenous conference. We partnered with Juntos to put that on. And uh, we're going to be putting on several more within the near future. And all that stuff will be on our uh, website and our Facebook page as well. Also, as a result of Fresh Out being around for a while, we were asked to come and speak to, uh, I was asked to come and speak to a group of law students at Lewis and Clark College. And so we built a relationship with Professor Eliza Kaplan and her class there at the Lewis and Clark Law School. And we started a restorative justice program with them. So we partnered with Chu Fair. Chu Fair was the first African-American who was pardoned in the state of Oregon that we know of. And uh, once Chu got his pardon, he went back to the class and we started talking to the students. So me, Chu Fair, Terrence Hayes would meet like once every three months with the Lewis and Clark Law School. And so out of that, we would start having lunches in the community. And so out of that came the Oregon Black Pardon Project. We said, hey, and Chu was the one who mentioned, how can we get other people pardoned? And so we all got on board and said, yeah, how can we get other people pardoned? So we submitted a hundred names of black African-American individuals to Governor Kay Brown for pardon, and she pardoned 48 of them. So that was the Oregon Black Pardon Project. So, so Larry, you talked about Measure 110 a little bit earlier, but for our listeners, a little refresher. Oregonians passed uh, Measure 110 in November 2020, and Measure 110 decriminalized small amounts of certain illegal drugs, so along with decriminalizing personal possession of hard drugs, Measure 110 redirected funds to help expand access to drug treatment and recovery services. So Fresh Out was one of the many organizations that received Measure 110 funds. But there are concerns that Measure 110 is not working, and it's in a little bit of trouble. I don't think Measure 110 is in trouble. I think the trouble that Measure 110 is having is because Black people aren't going to jail as much anymore. And Black people got some resources in their own communities that they're supporting Black people with. And the powers that be, that like stuff to go on traditionally, don't like the untraditional approach that Black people and African-Americans who are getting this money are taking to providing healing services to their community. So I think I think that's the big issue uh, because the money was uh, 
the money was uh, earmarked and voted on for the people who were most impacted by the war on drugs, which we all know was black people, first of all. Then yeah. the Latinos got caught up in it, too, because they were doing a lot of drug selling and a lot of gangs came about from because of that. And then indigenous people who are historically have been targeted with alcohol and other substances to uh, create genocide on that population. So I don't think Measure 110 is in trouble. Uh, anytime black people get something, they, we're in trouble. We've been in trouble ever since we got to this country. Black people have been in trouble. And so I like to do like uh, John Lewis said, keep on making some good trouble for black people. So Measure 110 is good trouble for, for black people. In the 2023 Oregon legislative session, there was an attempt to divert Measure 110 funds back to the cities, counties, and law enforcement. And Larry, you did speak out against diverting funds from Measure 110. So talk about that and about the importance of these funds and especially what receiving these funds means to the African-American community. We've had three new programs that I know of who've not only been able to build an infrastructure and hire more staff, which means more jobs for Black people, more revenue for Black families, which we all know suffer the most. Blacks are the lowest in the social determinants of health in the state of Oregon and Multnomah County for the past 25 years since I worked in social services. We fare at a worse rate than everybody in education, housing, criminal justice system, economics, employment. We're the lowest of the low. The last median income came out in December. White families earn $184,000 a year. Asians are second with 74,000. Latinos are third with 34,000. African-Americans, $24,000. So talking about taking this Measure 110 money would be devastating. And then especially if you diverting the money back to law enforcement, which historically has a record of disproportionately arresting and stopping Blacks without any probable cause and coming up with cases on him because they just see a black person stop him walking, whatever, and then he's got something on him and he gets a case because of that. But a lot of blacks don't know their rights. And even if you do know your rights and you stand up to the police, then it comes up resisting arrest or some other kind of case, you know. So, yeah, I was opposed to any of the funds being moved. Give this uh, measure a chance. Maybe it needs some tweaking. We'll see as we go on further with it. But we haven't even given it a chance. It's only been two years. The money's only been out about 18 months. So we haven't really got a chance to see how much effect the money has had on drugs and building more treatment, which the money was designed to do, to build more treatment options and to give people more access to treatment. So like I said, I've been working in social services since 1997. The population's grown immensely. But the treatment services have stayed the same. We're second in the nation in use and abuse and last in providing services to for substance abuse individuals. You know, everybody's talking about Measure 110, 110. Well, they did. They, nobody's talking about the housing money. We got a Metro bond measure that they, they spend like $200 million a year. This has been going on for four years and homelessness has gotten worse. But nobody's up in arms talking about we need to take that money back from Metro and do something else with it. Uh, I think the only way they're going to get rid of the house, this problem is to put the let the people put the tents in the bike lanes, because then if they do that, people will be so much in an uproar, they have to do something about it. Another thing, too, about this money is it's a small drop in the bucket uh, of, of what social services and, and, and mental health and substance abuse disorder treatment has been getting in the last few years. So when we got a budget of over four point two billion dollars in the state of Oregon and we're talking about two hundred million dollars 
for uh, money that's earmarked for the people who are most impacted by the war on drugs. That's not a lot of money in the big scheme of things. When we're talking about the last 25 years that I've worked in social services, nothing has been targeted for these this population. So we take 200 million. They spent 200 million on a bridge study, on a bridge study, not building a bridge, studying to do a bridge, $200 million. But nobody's up in arms about why you spend that much money on the bridge. Why They didn't get a bridge. They just did a study on it, $200 million. But nobody's tripping about that money. But once this money gets, comes out and it's targeted for people who are most impacted by the war on drugs, it's a big uproar about the money. So that goes back to the state's historical racist attitude and prejudices toward Black people particularly. So when you've got a state that's built on racism and you've got institutions that are built on the racist constitution that was ratified in the state, what are you going to do is get racist results? So yes, yeah, absolutely positively important that this funding continues. So if it took 25 years to get here, it certainly ain't going to happen with a $200 million drop in the bucket. So we need to invest in this. We need to believe in this. We need to fight for this. And we need to empower this before we say, hey, it's not working. So, Larry, how can people get in touch with you? Do you hold meetings? Where do you meet? For anybody who's interested in uh, providing uh, or looking for some support or struggling with getting their life together or staying out of uh, criminal activity, you know, Fresh Out is available for you. We're a community-based organization, so we don't have any set place we're at. We go to the jails. We go to the prisons. We go meet you at Starbucks. Uh, we do have a place where we get our mail, 4200 Northeast MLK at the Jada Sofo Eats Cafe, my wife's cafe. She's nice enough to donate space for us when we need to come in there and meet with people who don't have anywhere else they can meet. So do we do meet people there. So I'll say that again, 4200 Northeast MLK at the Jada Sofo Eats Cafe. And then she also provides meals a couple times a year. She feeds people who are part of Fresh Out. She volunteers and feeds food and donates the food to us. And so she's been a big help in supporting our program as well, too. We really wouldn't have been able to have do do any of the work we haven't we've been doing if it wasn't for Nate Roberts and Richard Brown and most of all Dorothy Steele believing in us and believing in the changes that we had made in their lives. And they were the people who helped us make our changes. They're my mentors. So I still continue to stay in touch with them on a weekly basis. You know, I always call them, I always check in with them. I'm always you know, because they're my mentors. So I, I need to make sure that I'm doing, practicing what I'm preaching, that I uh, stay focused, that I stay in tune, and that I stay uh, cognizant of the fact that they got some blues that'll fit me right now. They got a sale with my name on it. You know, they don't care how long I've been out of prison, how much work I've done in the community, one false move and I can be back in. And so that's what I always try to remind myself of, you know, that this is a daily fight and that I'm in it to try to help support as many people and put the prison out of business. And Larry, you're helping people in the community. So it's not only a reentry. You're doing preventative work also. You're welcoming people to join with Fresh Out and all these other community-based organizations to prevent people from leading a life of crime. Absolutely. With the uh, Measure 110 funds, you know, burns were started, uh, behavioral health recovery networks. And so a lot of those organizations I mentioned to you are, are work within our burn. Uh, and we have a solid core group of African-American specific programs within that burn that we work very closely together. Out of that, we formed the OBIAC, Oregon Black, Brown, and Indigenous Advocacy Coalition, to make sure that we were holding agencies accountable 
for spending this measure 110 money on those people who were most impacted by the war on drugs. So if you got a big chunk of money, you said you were going to get to hire peers or buy a building. So those places need to be open to those who are most impacted by the war on drugs. They need to be welcoming to those who are most impacted by the war on drugs. You need to hire peers that look like the people who are most impacted by the war on drugs. You need to hire peers to work with the people who are most impacted by the war on drugs. You know, And so what we don't want to see happen is that, like we've seen happen in the past, a lot of these big box dominant culture organizations get this money and then they divert it to helping other people for the people who really need the help those most impacted by the war on drugs.